You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. If you don't like getting yelled at first thing, but do something very important. Greet the people around you. Say, hi, my name is, and what's your name? <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of a hard assignment. And then if, uh, if you want, you can turn to the Bible in chapter 11 of Mark. And we've provided Bibles and all the tables for you to, it's just kind of, I think it's really good to see it in the Word itself and read it on your own and know where it is and get used to flipping to things. We do put the words up on the screen as well if you, if you learn better that way, but I'm, I'm the kind of guy that likes to get right into it. So Mark 11 and verse 22, this is the passage that I left you with last week as we've been talking about the miracles of Jesus. I, did, I read this passage as really slowly and reflectively, and it's, it's a powerful passage that says something huge. Would you listen to it and read along? Mark eleven twenty two. it says this, Have faith in God, Jesus answered. And he said, I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer. Do you hear that? Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Let's pray. God, we thank you that these bold words are in the Bible, that these are your words to us that says whatever we pray for, believe that we've received it and it will be done. God, those are hard words to understand. And God, would you give us, would you enlighten us this morning, speak to our hearts and our minds about what this passage is all about and why so many times we've prayed and you haven't answered our prayers. God, would you fill us and enlighten us with your spirit so that we may understand you better. And everybody screamed, amen. Amen. You go to the zoo to see animals, right? Like sometimes big, ferocious beasts like lions, like five feet away from you in this cage. And uh, it's really cool because normally you wouldn't see a lion anywhere, right? And I had this friend. uh, He was a little bit older than me, but he was like a lot more immature than me. I mean, can you imagine me hanging out with friends that were immature? I know it's hard to believe. (laughs) If you don't know me, by the way, I'm I'm pretty immature. Um, I had this friend that was pretty immature, and uh, his one of his favorite things to do was to go to the zoo and bring with him a squirt gun. <laughs> and so he'd hide the squirt gun, go in through the zoo security or whatever, get it out, and then fill it up, and then like go to the cage of the lion and just kind of look around, pull out a squirt gun, sleeping lion, it's <laughs> and the lion just be like. Rrr! And, and then wake up and then just get mad at the squirt gun person, which was my silly friend. And uh, <laughs> there's a really big difference between a zoo animal and an animal in the wilderness. How many of you are going to Africa this summer? Moon missions. Woo-hoo. Uh, if you were to walk, I'm not wishing this on anyone, but if you were to walk around, you're walking around in Africa, and you all of a sudden see a, a, a lion 
Is your first thought, I'm going to pull out a squirt gun and squirt him in the face? No, that would be a really dumb thing to do, to squirt a lion in the face, just a wild lion. Because there's a really big difference between animals in a zoo that are all caged up and animals in the wild. A lion's still a lion, whether it's caged or right in front of you, wild and about to eat you. Um, but there's a really big difference. The zoo animals, you, could, you can go and you can see and you're like, wow, that's right there. And maybe they're tame enough that there's like a lion trainer that like has them on a leash and walks them around. And you're like, wow, that's pretty sweet. This lion's tame. And it's a very different lion, uh, at least in how he acts, than the wild lion. And what I want to say right now, I hope hopefully it doesn't confuse you, but I, just in that analogy, the picture of those two different animals, the lion in the zoo and the lion in the wild, that our God is more like the lion that's in the woods, that's in the wild. And what I mean by that, I don't mean to get weird on you and say that God is like a creature, God is like a lion, because he created the lions. He is God. But God is more like, uh, God isn't like the lion that's in the zoo that we can just go to and see and squirt in the face with a squirt gun. That, that our God, we can't just go anytime we want and, and we know exactly how, it's gonna, how this lion is going to act or we know exactly how God is going to act. Uh, he is more like the lion that's wild and in the woods. And I teach uh, systematic theology to a, a few different groups, uh, King's College and the School of Worship, and the School of Worshippers. Um, and uh, in, in teaching systematic theology about God, usually we get into a discussion, a, a somewhat frustrating conversation. Uh, the students sometimes get to feeling like, man, I, I really wish we could just talk about the way God acts and the way God is and, and what God is thinking when he does this and the whys of the how of what God does. I mean, why does God do this? What's, what's God thinking when he does this? And in some ways, you know, someone might come to you with an answer and say, oh, God is like this. God thinks like this. God acts like this because this, this, and this and give you some bullet points. And they really have this, this God that's in a box and they hand it to you and say, look, God, we, I got God all figured out. He acts like this. He thinks like this. Here's, here's God. Here's, here's how God works. And you know what I usually say? Uh, and usually someone won't come out and say, here, I have God in the box. You know, I have him all understood like that. But they'll say something like that. And, and my response is, if, if you really think God is in a box like that, and your, your equation is that God is just like this, then you're probably wrong. Because God doesn't live in a box. Our God is not like this caged creature that we can go and see and we know how he acts and we know exactly what he's thinking and we know the why of the how of underneath and we know the mechanics of how, who God is. I mean, in a lot of ways, God is God. His ways are higher than our ways. We, we can't just get into the mind of God and know exactly how he's thinking, explain him like he's one of us. He's not like that. In fact, C.S. Lewis, anybody see the, uh, the, the, the Prince Caspian this weekend? pretty good i heard it wasn't that good is that true is that true it's really not that good it's okay you liked it i know i haven't seen it either and i, I someone told me today it's not that good uh, talk to patrick he's in the tech booth he didn't like it uh, he, he thought lucy couldn't act That's so horrible. I mean, it's like this Christian, big Christian movie that comes out, and we should be all over it, and we're like, yeah, it stinks. Don't go see it. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll probably go see it. I mean, you have to go see it. It's just like one of those rules, you know, you have to go see it. But uh, you, you should read the books, too. You probably have to read the books more than watch the movies. Anybody want, read the books? Yes. Okay, they're, they're much better. The book is always better than the movie. And in the book, one of my favorite, favorite uh, scenes, one of my favorite, favorite uh, 
parts and quotes of the book is when Lucy, the little girl, is, is questioning Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. And in the book, the, the beavers can talk. And so she's talking to the beavers and saying, what's Asland like? And they're like, well, he's the Lord of the Wood. Oh, well, is he, what's he like? Is he, is he a man? It's like, oh, no, he's most definitely not a man. He is a lion. It's like, oh, wow. And so Lucy's questioning about Aslan. And if you've read the book, you know that Aslan the lion is this God, Jesus type character, right? And he just kind of represents that in the book. And Lucy says this line, my favorite line of all the books. Maybe you know it as well. She says, is Aslan safe? Because she's like the scared little girl. And she's like, oh, he's a lion. Is Aslan safe? Do you know the response? Yeah, correct. <laughs> the response is no. He's not safe. But he's good. Isn't that, an, isn't that a sweet quote? That our God, is, is God safe? Can we... Can we put him in a cage and just put him over here like this? Is he safe? No. He's most definitely not safe. But he's good. Is that, I mean, C.S. Lewis, it's an amazing quote. And we're going to dive in today. So I want you to keep that in mind, that God is not that. Well, basically what we're going to dive in today is when we say a prayer, and it's an asking God for something, a petition type of prayer, we ask God for something, and it doesn't happen. We don't get what we prayed for. Then what the heck? Right? I mean, we just read this verse that says, pray for, ask for anything, and it will be yours. Believe that you've received it, and, and you will have it. And, and then we pray for stuff. I know I have, and I know, and maybe you could raise your hand if you've prayed, never prayed for anything that hasn't come true. Um, I think it's just part of being human, that we pray for things, we ask God for things, sometimes very important things, and it doesn't happen like we want. It doesn't come true. And so we're going to talk about some reasons why that doesn't happen. But the bigger point of today that I'll come back to at the end is that we really can't, we can't say that God is in this box. We have them all figured out that there's, there's this equation as to why some prayers work and some prayers don't. And so does that sound like fun to dive into this morning? Yes, me too. It sounds like fun to me. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, I want to well, if you're new to Sunday school, I just want to welcome you uh, and say thanks for coming to Sunday school. Hopefully you got your free coffee and your uh, junk food, although there's some like fresh fruit up there or something, some good food too in your belly. Uh, there's a card like this. It says first timer. You can put your name on it, some information on it. Uh, you, we'll, we'll put you on our email list. If you want to be contacted, we can contact you. Um, and uh, in exchange for this, just give it to the people at the front table. In exchange, we will give you a CD with some of our original worship songs and uh, a sermon on it and a little welcome. So if you're new, welcome. Fill out one of these if you want. And uh, I think that's all the announcements I have for you. Um, I want to say that this month, we, we, in Sunday school, we take Sunday school topics month by month. And this month has really, I've been studying the miracles of Jesus and restudying and trying to figure some things out. And there's this saying that says, the teacher always learns more than the student <laughs> um, about what they're teaching. And so, I think sometimes that's really true. And I think for this month especially, uh, I don't compare myself to, to, to you guys but, or as students, um, but I have learned a whole bunch this month. And, and just to be honest with you, like I've, my faith has been increased and I've been praying for more miracles and really uh, having this thought pattern with God is of, of why don't things happen when we pray for them? Oh, why did Jesus just instantly pray for something and it happened? And I've just been, my faith has been increased this month. And I think it has to do with what I talked about the very first Sunday is that this whole idea of miracles, um, seeing a miracle, praying for a miracle 
is very closely tied or interwoven with faith. So many times Jesus says, your faith has healed you, go in peace. Or your faith has, has, has led your eyes to, to be opened from blindness to, to sight. And so the miracles and faith are really interwoven. So hopefully you've got something like that if you've been with us this month. But uh, let's dive right into it, shall we? Yes! Um, before you open your notes, this is your skill at your notes. On here uh, is not really the answers, but the question is... Um, uh, so before you open it, don't cheat yet. Uh, <laughs> um, so just think to yourself, or you could uh, maybe I'll give you a minute or two to open, uh, converse with some little buddies around you. The question is, when we pray for something to happen, specifically a petition type of prayer, we ask God for something and it doesn't happen. What what are some things that we can say that? Well, why didn't God answer that prayer? Why didn't God do this like I asked him to? Would you think about that for a second? And feel free to to chit-chat amongst your neighbors for like 60 seconds. Ready, get set, go. Did you get some ideas in your head? Um, I think there's various ideas and um, as to why sometimes a petition type of prayer, asking God for something, it doesn't come come out the way you prayed it. Even though, I mean, the, the passage we read today, I mean, Jesus' own words, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. And then he has all these examples of praying for miracles. In, his, in the Bible there's examples of just praying, you know, like seeing a lame man saying, get up, walk, your faith has healed you. And it just instantly happens and it's so amazing. But in your notes, if you want to turn to your notes now, it's no longer cheating to open your notes. Um, it says unanswered prayers at the top. And then there's, then there's five, five bullet points that we're going to get to today as to reasons why prayers don't happen. Eschatology, God's timing, improper motive, lack of faith, and not the will of God. So some of the things that you may have been chit-chatting about um, might fall under one of the headings. So let's get started, shall we? Number one, um, a big word there, eschatology. Everybody say, eschatology. It's a big word. Guys, if you want to impress a girl and, and use big words to impress them on like dates and stuff, this would be a perfect word to use. Let me use it in a sentence. Do you know what eschatology means? <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, do you know what it means? It means the study of the end times. And so sometimes you could confer it to mean, oh, the rapture and the millennial and Jesus coming back and left behind series and Kirk Cameron and all, all that stuff. Uh, but really it means a lot more than just end time stuff. It has to do with 
What is going to happen that our end as human beings, our end is in heaven with Jesus in the presence of God. So Jesus says some things that are, there's this phrase in eschatology that, that I really like. It's called already, but not yet. That we are made perfect. The, the whole idea of glorification. That Christ makes us perfect by his death on the cross. And so right now, every single one of us is totally perfect without sin. Because Christ has made us perfect. And that happens now. And that is already, but not yet. Not fully. I mean, I mean we're going to be in heaven and we really are going to have new bodies. And perfection is going to be all around us. No tears, no crying. Um, in heaven, perfection, glorification. And, and in some ways... That Jesus, is, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is now. And, and so the kingdom of God is now, but yet not. Yet, yet still to come. And so there's this whole thing of already, but not yet. And so when we ask God for things and pray for things, um, we have to realize that we're in, we are in a fallen world. And there's this whole thing of the problem of evil. That God is good, that God is all-powerful. So why is there bad things on the earth? Is he not all-powerful enough to stop it? Is he not good enough that he doesn't care enough about us to, to allow bad things to happen? And, and so there's this problem of evil. There's this fact that we live on a, a non-perfect earth that is fallen because of sin and, and wrong mistakes of ourselves and others. That we live in a fallen world and um, bad stuff just kind of happens. Prayer, um, that we have all authority. I'm going to say this. We have all authority in Christ to pray for anything we want already, but not yet. That, that there is this sense that in heaven we will be right there with God, and it's not like we'll have to close our eyes and, and fold our hands to pray, but he'll just be right there. We'll just ask him for something, and he'll be right there. And so that is yet to come, but it is already. that We can, we have all authority already on this earth right now. And so I was talking to, this is... Um, Kind of a, it was a tough conversation. I, I was just talking with Aaron and kind of going over. I like to go over kind of my Sunday school sermon ideas with someone, and and I had the opportunity this week to talk to Aaron. And we were just talking about, well, why aren't prayers answered um, all the time? And of course, he has. If you know Aaron, our, our mill senior pastor, he he and his wife um, unfortunately lost a baby. Just, I mean, it's it's been about a month now and a, and a week, and uh, he said going through that has been terribly hard that he they heard that the baby wasn't doing that good in Jossie's womb um that's Aaron's wife and and uh and they began praying for her healing for her life and the doctor said there there's a good chance this baby may not live there's a good chance that this baby not might not be totally healthy if the baby does live and so they began and I began as, as a friend of Aaron began praying for the baby and they named her Bergen and began praying for her health and for her life and unfortunately um the prayers didn't get answered like like we had been praying for them to be answered and yet Aaron said just this is just the other day that he he really wants to realize this this eschatology that the, and it's a big word but but coming down and and having true meaning he said I really want to realize that Bergen right now that our prayers have been answered that in heaven right now she is healthy and she does have life and and it's already happened and it is real, and she is that those prayers have been answered, and yet they're not fully realized by us yet and by Aaron yet until we get into heaven ourselves and see God or in God's presence, and and we believe that Bergen will be right there and she'll be healthy and she will have life. And so, in some ways, there's this eschatological principle of prayers being 
answered already, but not yet. And I have, um, there, can I show you a weird scripture? <laughs> People kind of like weird things in scripture. I do too. It's in, turn a few pages over in Mark, if you're still in Mark. Mark chapter 8, and it starts in verse 22. This is of the story of Jesus healing a blind man. And then he sees people as trees. Everybody say, what? <laughs> and, um, and then uh, he prays for him once again. And then he, then they, he sees clearly. It's uh, Mark chapter 8, verse 22. If you want to turn there, Mark 8, 22. And it says, Then they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought him a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside to the village. When he had spit in the man's eyes, everybody say, yuck. When he had spit in the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? I think that's interesting because I've, I've, peop- I pray for people every once in a while that are like, man, my back is killing me. Uh, and I'll say, can I pray for your back? And, and so, you know, we close our eyes or whatever. I put my hand on their back and I, I begin to pray. I say, God, would you heal their back? And then after you're done praying, what do you do? <laughs> you're just kind of, so did, uh, you kind of like one eye open, so are you better or <laughs> same? And uh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus just says, do you see anything? He prays for someone, prays for a blind man to see, and he says, do you see anything? You know, kind of just asking the question, is your back well after I prayed for you? Then he looked up and said, this is the blind man, I see people, <laughs> I see people, they look like trees walking around. I don't know what that means, but it's, it doesn't sound right. Uh, verse 25 says, once more Jesus, so once more, Jesus prays again. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes, and the man's eyes were opened. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And so there's, this, there's lots of ways, by the way, to interpret this passage, and this is really it. I mean, that's the passage we get. And so, like, what was really going on there? Was Jesus really not all-powerful that he had to pray for this man twice? Was the man, did the man have a little bit of doubt, and so he wasn't really healed the first time was jesus trying to teach his disciples a lesson in faith by like praying for someone and then re-praying for someone um i don't really know i mean i'm not going to begin to describe one particular interpretation but i do want to bring this up and say uh in this in this idea of eschatology that that the prayer was offered that that jesus asked for this blind man to be healed and he saw but he saw imperfectly and it's just this idea that um there's more to there's more that to a miracle than just instantaneous healing which which will go into our next point if you if you're taking notes um the the second one here is god's timing if you want to number these number 2 is god's timing and um have you ever heard the christianese fun saying that god always answers prayers his answer is either yes no or wait have you heard that before it's it's a little cheesy but it's kind of cool um, the God always answers prayers. He just answers them with a yes, a no, or a wait. <laughs> and so I, what I want to talk about is the wait idea that uh, we could pray for something and instantaneously it may not happen. That uh, like uh, Brady, I have this pastoral staff meeting once a week and it's actually in here. So all the pastors join and Brady Boyd was talking. He was just sharing a little bit of his heart about um, looking in the past and specifically, he was he was really referring to the, the shooting that happened 
a couple months ago in December, and looking back to that and the, the tragedy of that day and the horror of that day, but now looking back and seeing two families, if you, don't, if you, if you haven't heard all the stories, that the family of the shooter and the family that lost uh, two of their daughters have been joined. To, they, they got to meet together and talk and hug and cry together and share stories. And Brady just really taught us as pastors about looking to the past and seeing God's good work. And that sometimes in the moment, it's harder to see what God is doing and how God is acting. But through faith, we can look back and say, God, you were in control that day. And you were in control. You are in control every day. And, and your hand is shown to us by, by things that have happened. And so looking back to the past. And so God's timing, I think, has to do with, um, I just think of some prayers that I've prayed in the past having to do with God's timing. Like I was in high school and dating this girl that I thought was really cool, and we broke up, and I was like, oh, God, get us back together. And uh, and that was like in high school, and I was silly and a kid, you know. And thinking now, like, I, I re- really, that was a good thing that God didn't answer that prayer. It wasn't, I don't know if she was the best match for me, and uh, our relationship wasn't all that godly. And uh, I'm married now to a really hot wife now. Her name is Erica. <laughs> And uh, if God would have answered that prayer a long time ago, then, man, that wouldn't have, that wouldn't have been a good deal for me. I, I got a better deal out of the... <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, this idea that God's timing. And uh, I think if someone... I, I've prayed for someone before that had, uh, had migraine headaches, and I prayed for them, God, would you take away their migraine headache? And, and um, I prayed for them, and they weren't instantaneously healed. But a few hours later, they came and said, man, my headache's gone. It, it wasn't instantly healed, but my headache's gone. It usually lasts, you know, the whole night, all night. And I usually wake up and I'm okay. But, you know, it, it, I was healed within a couple hours. And, and they were like, praise God. And so we, we just thanked God. We prayed again. And we just thanked God for healing. And, and I think sometimes we expect that, that a miracle will happen instantaneously and just be like this, like a puff of smoke and then something cool will happen like that. But... But I think we, we bring our petitions to God. Like this person that had a migraine headache was just in pain. They were laying down just like, oh, God, my life, my head hurts, kills. And they're just really in a desperate point and just needing, needing to be healed of their migraine headache. And so to pray for them, to give, if it happened instantaneously, it would just give all this credit to the miracle or to me as the person praying for them. But since it happened over time, I mean, they were, glor- they were like, wow, this... It, the prayer really worked. It, it helped me, and I don't have a headache right now. And and so the prayer was answered. It was just maybe it took longer than than you expected an instantaneous puff of smoke prayer to work. And uh, Jesus, there's an example of Jesus praying. It was still in the, the book of Mark. Flip forward uh, back a couple pages to Mark 11. And uh, Mark 11, verse 12 talks about Jesus praying for something and it not instantaneously happening but happening uh, I guess over the course of a night and he pray it's a weird story by the way I'm pointing out a lot of weird little stories today but it's 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 uh so, some interpret this little passage it's about the fig tree that withers some interpret this passage that Jesus was teaching his disciples about s- uh, the season of of bearing fruit and the fig tree is often 
a symbol of the Jewish nation and said that they should have been ready to receive him as Messiah, but they weren't. And so look at this. It's uh, Mark chapter 11, verse 20. And it says, In the morning, as they went along, they saw a fig tree. Wait, I'm jumping ahead too much. Uh, Mark 11, verse 12. Are you there? You were already there. You're just like, Joe, come on, get with the program. Mark 11, verse 12. Uh, the next day they were leaving Bethany. Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went over to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. And then skip down. He, he goes into Jerusalem. Skip down to verse 20. And it says, In the morning, uh, so the, ne- the next day in the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. And Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. And this, by the way, is, is the context for the other verse that I read this morning to introduce us. And he says, have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to a mountain, go throw yourself into the sea. And if he does not doubt but believes in his heart that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. And so this is the context of Jesus saying that to his disciples. This prayer that happens, he prays the prayer of the, of the fig tree. to curse this tree. I mean, it's kind of a weird story, to be honest, right? I mean, you, you go to a fig tree because you're hungry and it's not fig season, so you curse it. Um, I mean, but he's God. He can do whatever he wants. Um, if I did that, you'd just look at me like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> um, but I, I, and I think there was a lesson behind this, this story. But it shows me that, that not all Jesus' prayers were instantaneous puff of smoke, someone getting healed or something happening, that sometimes it, it took time. This one took overnight. The next morning, the fig tree was healed, and yet it's still a miracle. It's still considered something miraculous that happened because of the fig tree withering. And in the context of that, Jesus says, pray for anything. Believe that you've received it, and it will be yours. And I think about this whole thing of timing and God's timing, that that we can pray for something, and if the answer comes later, it's still an answer to prayer, and it may just fall into God's timing. And so that is number two, that God's timing um, there's something about that that's that's important. Um, I guess uh, I could share this now. That, that there's this idea, there's this verse in Corinthians that that says that uh, in Second Corinthians actually that God says that my power in you is made perfect in weakness. Have you heard that verse before? That my power is made perfect in in your weakness. That in somehow our our weakness of not understanding and not totally understanding, wanting something to happen instantaneously, but weakly knowing that that prayer just didn't get answered at that time, and we're weak about that, that God's power is made perfect. And, and, and going back to Aaron and I talking this week, he said that, you know, sometimes, uh, what did he say? Sometimes the greatest faith comes from not seeing a miracle. And he refers back to his his, his little daughter that passed away, and he says, that, that his faith has increased so much more because his, and maybe, you know, in a, in a way that his, because his daughter passed away, him and his wife's relationship is stronger. Him and God, between him and God, is so much, he has so much more trust in God and, and so much more brokenness before God. And that in, his, in, in God's, God's power is made strong through his weakness. And so that's that whole idea of, of God's timing and then going back to the, to the eschatology that God did answer that prayer and, and Bergen is in heaven and she is healed and she does have life. Um, 
And so that, that's just been on my mind this week as well. Um, can we go to number three? Number three in the bullet points, uh, an improper motive. If you want, you could turn to James. This is a passage that I remember first looking at in college and reading and being like, wow, that really helps me think about like my motives of why I'm praying for something. And uh, so it's James, if I could find it, it's after the book of Hebrews, before the book of Peter, uh, James chapter 4, verse uh, 2 and 3. And it says this, uh, let's see, you want something, but you don't get it. And it says you kill, he's kind of rebuking some people. Um, you kill and covet, but, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. And then it says this, you do not have because you do not ask God. And then James chapter 4, verse 3 says this, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. And then it says that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. And uh, I used to, in college, is anybody is anybody eating a lot of ramen right now? <laughs> you kind of go through stages in your life where you have tons of money. Not that I'm in that stage, but uh, or you have enough money, and then sometimes you not really have enough money. And so you eat a lot of ramen because that's a really cheap meal, right? Don't look at me like I'm crazy. I know you've been there. Um, and so I was in college eating lots of ramen one time, and, and, and I was kind of praying. It was right around the time of reading this verse and studying it and understanding it. And so I just started praying to God. I said, like, God, man, I wish I was wit- rich, God. Would you make me rich? <laughs> I want to be rich and eat some stuff other than ramen. And, and then I put a number on it. I was like, God, it'd be, God would you give me a million dollars? I want a million dollars, God. And then, and then this verse came to mind. I was like, man, I guess if I had a million dollars, I would spend what I had on my own. It says spend what you have on your own pleasures. You know, I'd be out buying the CDs and DVDs and speedboats. Uh, <laughs> uh, and... Uh, <laughs> And uh, I just thought, okay, God, but if you gave me a million dollars, I would give almost all of it away to this homeless ministry. And I named the homeless ministry, and I would just keep what I needed. And so I I would really give this all away. And then I thought about, wait, what's my motive behind getting a million dollars and then giving most of it away to this homeless ministry? I kind of pictured myself like shaking hands with the mayor and... uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> getting my name in the newspaper. And it's like, if I really had a million dollars just to give, then th- isn't that like a motive that I just want to be, you know, have fame for giving all this money away? Then I thought, man, I guess I guess I really don't need a million dollars. And then I was reminded of, of the prayer that um, Jesus' disciples come to him, come to Jesus and say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And, and then Jesus begins to pray. And I think this prayer isn't a a prayer that's a mantra that you're just supposed to memorize exactly. But Jesus begins to say the Our Father prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy, your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done as earth on earth as it is in heaven. And then he says, give us this day our daily bread. And, and then this idea that the motive behind prayer and a lot of the miracles that happen are, are people coming to Jesus in total need Someone is blind and knowing that if they could just talk to Jesus, Jesus might heal them. They're not asking for a million bucks. They're not asking for stuff that they, they don't really need. I mean, Jesus' prayer about the daily bread is food that you need for that day. Daily bread. I mean, it's just bread. It's just what you need for that day. That's, that's the prayer that Jesus kind of models. And I think that's the way to come to God when you're, when you're in prayer and think, what is my real motive behind praying 
for this. And here's some people, uh, I'll show you a passage of some people coming to Jesus with a wrong motive. And Jesus really, he gets mad at them. He's not, he doesn't seem very nice. It's hard to know the tone. But uh, look at um, Matthew 12. Matthew 12, verse 39. Matthew 12, 39. I'll give you a second to turn there from James. Uh, Matthew 12, verse 39. uh, Excuse me, 38. Matthew 12, 38. And uh, the story is going to be of some Pharisees, teachers of the law, some important religious people coming to Jesus. And it says this. So it's Matthew 12, 38. It says, Some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. So I don't know. I mean, it doesn't say what their motive was. They they might have been like, dude, let's go see what Jesus is going to do. Let's let's see his let's see his magic tricks and and try to prove that they're false. Let's or maybe they're just thinking, let's see some of his magic tricks and and maybe we'll we will believe in it. Maybe it's true. We just want to see a magic trick. So they didn't come to Jesus blind, saying, Jesus, I want to see. They didn't come to Jesus deaf, saying. I, I want to hear. They came to Jesus basically saying, Let, let's see a miraculous sign. Let's see a, a magic trick. And what does Jesus answer? He get, it's, I mean, I, I can't imagine the tone being very nice. He answered, a wicked and adulterous nation, a generation asked for a miraculous sign, exclamation point. And he goes on to preach about no sign will be given to this generation except for, he goes on to say, talk about the sign of Jonah, which is his death and resurrection is what I think it is that he talks about how three days Jonah was in the whale three days Christ will be in the belly of the earth and die but then get raised again um, and, and it's this idea that thinking of our motives and like what are we really what is our true motive and being internally perspective about like what what our motives are when we come to God are we just wanting to see a magic trick are we really in need of God doing something in our lives i have for you a video clip yes because i know you like video clips i do as well uh this one comes from uh comes from the passion of the christ and uh the video clip is of when jesus so that if you've never seen the passion uh go out and see it if, if you're okay with uh, lots of blood and gore but i mean it's for a purpose it's our it's our it's a representation of what happened in the gospel so uh the passion of the christ about jesus follows him through the passion, through the, the, the days of execution. And he goes, he, in this scene that you're about to see, he goes before Herod. And Herod is the Roman king of all of Israel and Jerusalem. Jesus is brought before him because Pilate says, he's Herod's, he's, he's Herod's, let Herod judge him. But Herod, Herod's not there to judge him. Herod is there because he wants to see uh, a, a miraculous sign. He wants to see a magic trick. And so you'll see... Um, he says uh, he's there, and he, he, he's before Jesus. And you have to picture that, that Jesus is God, right? Jesus is God on this earth, king of kings. And, and Herod is a king also, I mean, in a, in a weird sort of way. And he, he points to himself, and he says, Ha'at Melech, are you a king? And he points to himself, kind of like, are you a king like me? And you, did you see the ridiculousness of this character of Herod, that he's, he's not that good of a guy. He's, I mean, from the scene, he's kind of a party animal, and his friends are all there and laughing and giggling and kind of mocking Jesus. In the, in the Bible, it talks about how they mocked him right there and dressed him in, in purple. But he, he, imagine a king, an earthly king, standing before God and saying, 
oh, are you a king like me? I mean, how ridiculous uh, of a scene. I just really hit me when I was putting this together last night. And um, so let's roll it. Let's roll this clip. Hey. Hey, who? Dna? U Yeshua din Tsaret? Gana. Ana Amar din. Kosti haefritsu leiwereya. Kosti din Tsarvarin min metaya. Mahadli Davudli Nafla Stephen Baldek Min Hazui Ulakata Unekiarea I think Herod is a pretty uh, exaggerated figure of, of someone obviously asking Jesus for a miracle, asking him for something with a very wrong motive of just wanting to see a magic trick being done. But I think I, just thinking about ourselves... How often, you know, do do we can we really know our own motives behind behind a prayer and and say, God, would you do something? And and really coming to Him with pure motives of not just wanting to see a miraculous sign, but really in need of something. And I, I want to read for you a passage. This is the passage that I got to read. Uh, I was Aaron asked me to pray at the mill a couple weeks ago, and this is a uh, just a a scripture of of someone coming before God with, I think, in the way that we should go before God with a petition type of prayer. It's in Luke 18, and it's uh, verse 35. Luke 18, verse 35. There it is. Um, Book of Luke, uh, chapter 18. And and starting in verse 35, it says says this, and this is the story of the of blind man that that comes before God, not asking for a miracle to see a trick, but but in desperate pursuit of God doing something in his life. And it says this: As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And and he cried out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. 
And then it says this. It says that those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. Can you imagine just being blind on the side of a road, knowing that a salvation, you could, might be able to see if this man was just to come to you and, and talk to you and, and pray for you or touch you. And, and people in the front saying, shut up, be quiet. Don't, don't. They rebuked him, it says, and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and ordered that, that man be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And he says, Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight, your faith has healed you. And immediately his sight, uh, he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. And when all the people saw it, they also praised God. And isn't that, I think that's, a, that's, the, that's the story of someone coming to Jesus and, and praying for something that they so desperately need and not being aware of looking silly or not being, just being desperate before God and really praying for something with a, with a motive of just wanting to be healed and, and wanting to be whole. And, and I think that's the way to come to God to, in petition. And so um, let's look at the next point. Uh, the next point, number four, if you want to number them, is, is a lack of faith. And this throughout the Bible is, is it seems like, like the verse we just read. It says, receive your sight, your faith has healed you. And so without that faith of the blind man, would he have been healed if he had no faith? And I, I don't know. I, I mean, the story doesn't say he didn't have faith and wasn't healed. It just said he, he, he had faith. And it's obvious. He was running, shouting, and trying to find Jesus. He had the faith and knew that Jesus could heal him. And then Jesus heals him. It says, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And um, uh, let's look at, uh, we're going to a lot of scripture today, but, but we like the Bible, don't we? Yeah, we do. Uh, look at Mark chapter 9. And I'll give you a second to turn there if you want. I think it's good to see it with your own eyes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read quite a bit of this. And so it's Mark chapter 9, niner, if that helps you, uh, starting in verse 14, Mark 9, 14. And, uh, and this is a story, it's, I think it's really one of the very few stories that's recorded in the Bible of where a disciple of Jesus or someone that is a Christian prays for something and it doesn't happen. And then Jesus Jesus talks about why it didn't happen, and the answer is like really short and simple, and you're like, that's it? <laughs> um, but look at this. Mark chapter 9, verse 14 says, When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and teachers of the law arguing with them. So there's like this crowd, Jesus' disciples, and a crowd of uh, Pharisees, teachers of the law, arguing. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought my son who was possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. And so this little boy, we don't know how old he is, can't talk. But he says whenever he seizes him, the spirit seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. So you see it. As the disciples prayed for this boy that was demon-possessed, he would fall down, gnash his teeth. I mean, just imagine a horrible scene as a father to have to see your boy go through. And uh, he asked the disciples to pray, but they could not heal him. And Jesus says, oh, unbelieving. So there's that idea of belief again and faith. Oh, unbelieving generation, how long will I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him, and when the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked, 
uh, the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can, and I, if you like underlining and stuff like that in your Bible, I underlined, if you can, is what this man says. And so, so maybe there's a lack of faith, I don't know. He says, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And I have no idea of the tone right here. It may be sarcastic. I don't know. Verse 23 says, If you can, question mark, is saying what he just said, Jesus said, Everything is possible for him who who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And that that statement, that prayer is, is... is, I don't know another word besides cool. It's just cool. It's a cool prayer. I do believe. Help me uh, overcome my unbelief. And that's what we used as the sweet quote of the day on the back of the, the skillet. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. A very honest prayer before Jesus. And verse 25, it says, When Jesus saw that the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you to come out. Come out of him and never enter him again. And the spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and he came out. And the boy looked much like a corpse, that many said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. And after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we drive it out? So the, remember, the disciples prayed first, and they couldn't, they couldn't help the young boy. And so they're asking now, Why couldn't we drive it out? And Jesus responds so simply. He replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. <laughs> and, and some of your Bibles may say uh, prayer and fasting. There's a manuscript thing here. Other versions in, in the Gospels of the same story say prayer and fasting. So it could be that Jesus said, These ki- this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. Having, I mean, that just has something to do with uh, spiritual authority. It has something to do with faith. Something to do with uh, possibly just Jesus saying, you, you had a lack of faith. You really need to pray and to fast. You know what? Fast going without food and, and, and in the time that you would eat food, um, praying to God. And, and I think it has a lot to do with faith. And as we pray for things and petition God and ask him for things, that there's a lot to be said about um, faith and a lack of faith. And I think we can judge that in ourselves and really say, yeah, I prayed for that, but I, did, I really didn't believe that it was going to happen. And we could judge ourselves and think about ourselves like that. And um, I think I was gonna I was gonna share this story with you that that if if you tell I mean you're not God Jesus in here says you know oh unbelieving generation but he knows that, that they didn't have enough faith and I don't know that we can tell another person after something after they pray for something that the reason why it didn't happen is you lack faith dummy <laughs> I think that's obviously a little mean. Um, and uh, you guys know Noelle Goodland? She was uh, she did an amazing job on Friday night with uh, the Q&A with Aaron Stern. And she actually began to share a part of her story, a part of her own testimony, is that her, her mom passed away when she was in her 20s, when she was 22. And Noelle, just as we were talking about this, uh, once again, I was just sharing what I was going to talk about at Sunday school with Noelle. And she, she brought up this story that she prayed for her mother. Her mother had cancer when she was in her 20s. And she would pray, her family would pray, they'd bring people in to pray for her, um, and, and, and her mother ended up dying. Even though they prayed for healing, they prayed for healing and deliverance from the cancer, those prayers weren't answered, and her mother ended up dying. And um, you know, there's all these reasons why 
the prayers didn't work, why her mom wasn't healed. And and um, and th- this is kind of a really sad part of the story, but her she had some extended family members that told her that if she... He worded it in such a way that it wasn't as bad as it seems, but she, they said something like, uh, if, you know, if if you really had faith, your mom wouldn't have died. and or, or if you had more faith, she would have lived, or something like that. And it was just us. Uh, basically, it was it was her her fault was what this person was saying. It was, it was your fault. If you would have really had faith, your mom wouldn't have died. And Noel is, is spiritually mature enough and, and is actually a, a licensed counselor enough to know that, you know that what her extended family members were telling her was out of grief of their own. They were saddened and they were grieved and they maybe weren't aware of how, you know, the, the, the severity of those words that she, they were telling Noel. But there's this idea that there... That's. I mean, we can't judge a person's heart and say, oh, the reason why your prayer didn't come true is because you lack faith, dummy. Um, but there is this sense that in the Bible there is, there are prayers that are unanswered and like this one that are because of a lack of faith, because that they didn't pray and fast enough. There was somehow a lack of faith there. And um, I, have, I have one more point for you. Uh, number five, not the will of God. And this one, how many of you mentioned this one as we discussed in Sunday school? It's like if you ask for something from God, a petition, and it doesn't come about, that maybe it wasn't the will of God. And um, Jesus prays in line with the will of God. I think this is another weird passage. It's like a lineup of showing you weird passages today. But Luke 22, if you want to flip there, you can. This is the story of the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, it's also the the cut the picture is Jesus there in the garden, uh, supposedly on a rock praying to God in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's the picture on your on your notes. And uh, Luke twenty two forty one uh, says, uh, let's see, Father, I guess it's forty two. Luke twenty two forty two. Just this one verse. Uh, thank you for turning there. If you did, um, Luke twenty two forty two says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. And it's in the context of Jesus. It says he was anguished and and looking forward to tomorrow and knowing exactly what was going to happen, his death, his own death on the cross. And he says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup for me. And it says, yet not my will, but yours be done. And and there's this idea that we need to pray in line with with God's will. And um, referring back to the hopefully somewhat humorous example of little me in high school praying after uh, uh, <laughs> the high school girl broke up with me and praying, oh God, get us back together. Um, I, I just don't think that prayer was in line with the, looking back, I think that was, it just I was a prayer that wasn't in line with the will of God because I got a much better deal out of the, <laughs> anyways. Um, that uh, um, there's this, you can turn here. This will be the last place that I have you turn today. It's in Romans 8. Romans 8.26. Romans 8.26. It talks about the Spirit. And some people interpret this to mean the gift of tongues or prayer language. And it's Romans 8.26. And it says this. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. When we do not know what we ought to pray for, the Spirit Himself, so the Holy Spirit, one in being with God, you know, intercedes for us and groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with 
the will of God. That our prayers have to be in line with the will of God as petition prayers if they are to be answered. That, that God doesn't answer prayers that are outside of his will. That, um, and, and then just a word about this is that you know, if you're praying some, for someone that's in pain and you're like, God, take this pain away, I think it might be silly to say, God, if it's your will that this pain be taken away. Because is our God a God that gives people pain and is a God of pain or is he a God of goodness, you know? And, and so I think there's, that, there's that whole idea going back to that we live in a fallen world and those things are allowed to happen and pain is allowed to happen. But I don't know that, that our God makes us gives us pain i think that's because of the fallen world and and this we, we live in a messed up world um so i think it's okay to say god uh, god just heal this person's back and, and 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 pray in line with the will of god um for other things and um i think you get the point right so there it is my friends do you see the five bullet points that i just gave you the five bullet points of just labeling it all out and saying oh here's how god works uh, these five bullet points. Um, has anyone ever seen the movie Dead Poet Society? Is it, is it not one of your like top two, three inspiring movies of all times? Yeah, it is. It's, it's got to be. <laughs> um, and if you haven't seen it, it's not. It sounded like when I first saw it, I was like, is it a horror film? Like Chainsaw Massacre and Dead Poet Society out on DVD. Um, it's not. It's about a, a boy's uh, school, prep school, uh, and they're all adolescent boys going to the school, and their teacher, uh, Mr. Keating, is played by uh, Robin Williams, who um, who teaches them literature and helps these little boys have a fall in love, not little, adolescent boys, fall in love with literature. And uh, there's this part in the movie, the movie that uh, they have these textbooks, and they say, open up to the introduction, and it says, here is what makes up great literature. Um, we have this scale, the X and Y axes. On the X axes, put the poem's um, uh, perfection. And on the Y axes, put the poem's importance. And so if a poem is perfect, but it's not that important, then it's not that great. But if a poem is important to, to all the society, and it's also perfect in its rhyme and meter, then it truly is a great poem. And this is your introduction to poetry. And then he says... Extrament, rip it up, rip it out of your book, rip those pages, boys. Don't I want straight, neat, clean rips? Come on, it's not the Bible. Rip those pages out of the book. And then he says this, and I wanted to get the lines right, so I looked up the the movie on uh, its script. And he says this. He says, "We do not read and write poetry because it's cute." We read and write poetry because we are members of the human race. And the human race is filled with passion. Medicine, law, business, engineering, those are all noble pursuits and necessary to sustain life. But poetry, beauty, romance, and love, these are what we stay alive for. And he says, to quote Walt Whitman, O me, O life, of the questions of the reoccurring, of the endless trains, and of the faith, faithless, of cities filled with the foolish, O good amid these, O me, O life, answer that you are here, that life exists, and identity, and the powerful play goes on, and you may contribute a verse, and the powerful play goes on, and you 
may contribute a verse. And then the teacher bends down, and there's this adolescent boy that's kind of finding himself, and he's kind of a spineless character. And he says, what will your verse be? And it's this whole idea that, that we can't put poetry on a grid of X and Y and plot it out mathematically, that we don't, we don't do poetry because it's greatness and the X and Y, a mathematical equation of what makes it great. We love and write and read poetry because we're members of the human race. And, and as we close, I think I would say the same thing. Um, not that you need to rip up your notes. Not that you need to do that. In some ways, it might be helpful, these things and these thoughts. It's always good to study the Word of God. Um, but that if you pray for something and you petition God for something and it doesn't happen, to not refer back to these notes and say, oh, here's why it didn't happen. We got the X and Y mathematical equation of why this prayer didn't work. Um, but to say, we don't pray to God and ask Him for things to get stuff. We don't pray to God. And, and ask him for things just to get stuff. We pray to God. We ask him for things because we are his friends. We're friends of God. That's why we pray and ask for things. That's why we can. Because we love him and we know that he can do things for us. So let's, uh, let's bow our heads and pray as we close today. God, we come before you humbly knowing that that you are a God who is not... Uh, this being that's in a box that we can just know bullet point you and, and know exactly how you think and how you work. But God, your word is true. That you, you have said that we can pray for anything in your name and believe that we've received it and it will be so. Those are your words to us, Jesus. And they're, they're hard words. And to be honest, they're confusing words. But that doesn't stop us, God. We love you. We are your friends, God. And we, and we want to just communicate with you we want a relationship with you because we love you and you're our friend. So we love you and we do praise you, Jesus. And everybody said, Amen.